0: Hi, this is Rachel Hine and Heather Levitas, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for a yearly in-service exams. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the podcast for a brief message from our sponsors. And remember to visit www.theresidentreview.com to study along with our outlines. Today, we'll be continuing our quick hit series on practice management. Remember, this is a quick hits lecture style with testable facts taken from the last five to 10 years of in-service questions. All right, Heather, why don't you get us started with some random facts about psychiatry?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So first we'll talk about pediatric consent. So in patients that are under the age of 18, you have to have consent from at least one parent unless the patients are emancipated. And emancipation is patients that are married, they're in the military, they have financial independence, or they're living apart from their parents or their parents themselves. Those patients are generally legally able to consent for their own medical procedures. Alternatives to a procedure are part of informed consent. You also have to go through the nature of the surgery, what the diagnosis is, indications, benefits, consequences, side effects, risks, consequences of any alternatives, and the probability of success. Minors should not be put at risk due to parents' religious beliefs. Bloodless surgery still provides physician with emergency transfusion if the child's life depends on it. So next, we'll go through a little bit of the testable facts on body dysmorphic disorder. It is defined as a preoccupation with perceived flaws that seem minor um, slight to most other people. (laughs) It includes repetitive behavior or mental acts related to appearance concerns. The preoccupation causes significant distress and impaired daily function. Eating disorders may be seen in conjunction with BDD, but are not critical to di- the diagnosis. It's most commonly associated with depression in 75% of cases. It's a psychological contraindication to surgery. So really you identify this in the question stem. It'll say something like the patient comes to you because she needs a breast augmentation. Otherwise she feels like she's going to get a divorce. That would be a no-go. So we can
0: talk next about statistics, which I will let Rachel do. Oh, goody. So the statistical power, this is a measure of the number of subjects in comparison to the effect size, test size, and power of the test. You can determine a sample size or verify a non-significant result after data collection. Ideal power is equal to 80%. And the p-value is the probability that the result happened by chance. A low p-value, usually less than 0.5, which we arbitrarily set, means that there's less than a 5% chance that the observed result happened due to chance sampling variation. This gives you confidence in rejecting the null hypothesis. There are different types of statistical tests we see. For categorical variables like yes, no, you'll want to use a Pearson's chi-square test. Numeric variables, you can use a regression analysis. For independent numerical or dependent categorical variables, you want to use the ANOVA test. And the non-parametric tests include the wilcoxon rank sum test and the Kruskal-Wallace test. There are different types of errors. So type 1 error is rejecting the null hypothesis when it's true. And this is protected by setting a higher alpha. A type 2 error is falsely accepting the null hypothesis. And that can be prevented by increasing your power. Type three is rejecting the null hypothesis for the wrong reason. And type four is the incorrect interpretation of a correctly rejected hypothesis. There are different levels of studies. So level one evidence is a high quality multi-centered or single centered randomized controlled trial with adequate power or a systematic review of these studies. Level two evidence is a lesser quality randomized controlled trial, prospective cohort, or a comparative study or a systematic review of these studies. Level three evidence is a retrospective cohort or comparative study, a case control study, or a systematic review of these studies. Level four evidence is a case series with pre, post-test, or only post-test. And level five evidence is expert opinion developed via consensus process, a case report, or clinical example, or evidence based on physiology, bench results, or first principles. Specificity is the ability of a test to correctly classify an individual as disease-free. So this is the ratio of those classified as disease-free and the total number of healthy patients, which we've seen before on our test. Sensitivity is the ability of the test to correctly classify an individual as disease. So this is the ratio of those classified as having the disease over the total number of sick patients. All right, Heather, why don't you take us through some legal stuff? So if you offer your services up
1: to a charity, you cannot imply or provide a financial incentive um, to have a procedure, does not imply understanding of a performance or procedure for which the patient has not been medically evaluated yet. You can offer things like Botox or injectables. You cannot offer things like procedures or implants. So you can advertise that you are board eligible while you are seeking initial certification, but this is only okay for the first eight years. And then just a little bit about electronic health records. Computerized provider order entry is the preferred method for entering orders, otherwise a written or verbal with readback from nursing staff. CMS EHR enrollment gives you 1% penalty adjustments below existing Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements for failure to participate in the meaningful use of a certified electronic healthcare technology on a yearly basis. The meaningful use of EMR is increasing the ability of healthcare systems to protect patient medical information in compliance with HIPAA regulations. Using the approved EMR systems to their full potential in order to provide optimization of healthcare data documentation to improve the quality of healthcare using the approved EMR systems to their full potential in order to optimize documentation to improve the quality of care delivered, improve quality, safety, efficacy, reduce disparities, engage patients and families, improve care coordination, improve population and public health, ensure privacy, and security protections for patient health information. And then just in terms of the universal protocol for preventing wrong site, wrong procedure, and wrong person surgery, you want to make sure in the preoperative area you have a patient identified with either a bracelet or something like that by three members of the team, preoperative marking of the surgical site, and a final timeout prior to the surgery or procedure. So then I'll have Rachel talk a little bit about the Sunshine Act.
0: All right. So the Government in Sunshine Act is a way to, to release open payments. The CMS publishes medical devices or pharmaceutical rep payments of over a certain amount to physicians. The American Disabilities Act requires that reasonable accommodations are provided by businesses and in public areas to allow people with disabilities to participate in daily activities. So this question we got was based on a patient that came to clinic and there was not an adequate interpreter and the office had to provide out-of-pocket costs to provide an interpreter for that patient. HIPAA is otherwise known as the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It includes rights including instructing information, inspecting records, amending records, can audit disclosure of records, covers health plans, clearinghouses, and providers. You can waive an IRB or HIPAA if preparing research protocol or performing research on someone who has died. IRB approval must have de-identified information, and you must strip records of any identifying information. It requires a standardization of electronic health care. And then disclosures include per request of the patient for treatment or payment to individuals identified by the patient, incidental disclosure, or a limited data set with removal of identifiers and public interest groups. Personal health information includes name, address, birth date, social security number, Past, present, or future physical or mental health conditions. Provision of healthcare to the individual. Payment for the provision of healthcare to the individual. For payment, you must sign a HIPAA waiver. In matters of dispute, you cannot send documentation without a without a signed consent. And PHI can only be shared between two treating healthcare professionals in a confidential, encrypted communication that is not high, at risk of breach or theft. To store patient photos on the computer, they must be encrypted using an approved process. And then a privacy official is a responsibility body for privacy in an organization. And this can range from an individual who functions as a privacy official at a small practice to a full-time position. Ambulatory surgery requirements include AAASF. They must be board certified with any board. General anesthesia requires 12 to 24 hours of oversight, and they must have unrestricted privileges within 30 minutes at a hospital. Pediatric patients need to be pals trained by one member and the ambulatory surgery center will have to be inspected every three years. A new patient is defined as one that hasn't been seen in the same specialty and the same practice in a period of three years. And the use of a medical assistant does not increase medical legal risk. Witness is not part of the integral consent process. And remember you cannot use the ASPS logo until you're board certified and office-based procedures need appropriate drugs, resuscitation, innovation equipment and a defibrillator. Disciplinary action. So you can get disciplined if you charge exorbitant fees, especially in emergencies, charity events in which surgeries performed, endorsement compensations, false pictures, not typical results or photographic techniques that misrepresent. Potential hires, you can't ask about disabilities, age, arrest, children, religion, country of origin, race or childcare, like we've ever been asked about that. If not treating a patient, you must obtain verbal consent to view and share information. And when you prescribe medication to a friend, that friend becomes a patient and you must document this encounter. All right, Heather, why don't you take us through some errors in health insurance?
1: So a near miss is an unplanned event that does not result in an injury illness damage, but has the potential to do so. Um, A look-alike or sound-alike medication error is giving or prescribing the wrong medication because it looks or sounds similar. So next, we'll just move on to some things we need to know about health insurance. Um, so billing, the physician bills for a certain amount, and, and the insurance company decides how much the service is worth, and that is how much the physician will get. The actual payment may come partially from the insurance company and partially from the patient, depending on their co arrangement. So in terms of what we need to know for Medicare, the different parts. So part A includes hospitalization, SNF placement, and hospice, usually included if you are over 65 or if you are under 65, but collect social security benefits. Part B is related to provider services, i.e. doctors, PT, labs, equipment, mental health. Part C, uh, additional improved private health insurance that you can get. D is prescription drug coverage. So in terms of Medicare payments, the difference of bill and the payment is considered contractual adjustment and services are paid in full. The physician agrees to accept payment according to Medicare fee schedule. We've had questions on the Affordable Care Act. So you must offer 10 essential health benefits, outpatient care, ER visits, hospitalization, maternity or newborn care, mental health and substance abuse treatments, prescription drugs, rehab and equipment lab tests, preventative services, and chronic disease care, pediatric services, including dental and vision. It does not cover adult dental or vision of note. Insurance companies do not cover elective cosmetic procedures, and the patient must be billed separately, and then you must inform the OR when you're switching to the cosmetic portion of a combined procedure. So competencies of the ACGME include. Interpersonal and communication skills, medical knowledge, patient care and procedural skills, professionalism, and system based practice, which is an ACGME milestone, which involves coordinating patient care within health systems, cost awareness, patient advocacy, and interprofessional development. And then just some other random practice management questions we've been, or topics we've been tested on one of which is cameras. You want to have optimal reproducible digital photographs, both pre and post-op that have matching anatomical landmarks. You want to use the same camera with same lens and the same lighting in the same patient position.
0: All right. So that will end our practice management section, which is becoming a little bit more popular on the exam. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they're dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.